Our vision, like many churches, is to win souls and to disciple believers. But winning souls does not happen by accident. It has to be done, planned, and done with intention. Each year, we schedule two two-month periods during the year where we challenge, guide, encourage, and assist our members in reaching out to their friends who are not yet believers. From January to February of 2017, we had a pay-it-forward campaign. We reminded our people of how much Jesus sacrificed in order that we could gain the salvation that we enjoy. And we encourage them, exert similar sacrifices and effort in order that your friends can also reap the benefit of Christ's death. After that Pay It Forward campaign, we had a New Believers Retreat in March for young people that 40 new believers attended. Then we had a New Believers Retreat for adults, and 24 adults attended that. From March through June, we focused on discipleship, getting these new believers to become regular in attending a small group, getting them attending our discipleship program and new membership class so that they would be growing. Then from July through September, we had another evangelistic push. This time it wasn't pay it forward. This time we decided to use the very simple popular book called The Purpose Driven Life as a way for our members to connect with their unbelieving friends. I made 11 20-minute videos to guide discussions in small groups so that we could encourage more of our members to start new small groups because we were making it easy and providing them with a video and a discussion guide to help them. Now, Chris Camaro happens to be living with two of our Chinese teachers that are supplied to us by the communist government. They come from China, and they're not believers. So Chris talked to them. Would you be interested in reading this book that has been bought and read by two, 32 million people around the world? And they were interested. So over the next few weeks, they read four chapters each week, gathered once a week, looked at the video, then followed a discussion guide in order to understand better the principles that were talked about and to look in the Bible to see what verses said. After the 11-week period, both of the young ladies had become believers. And this grave Chris, just great joy, and it built her confidence that she could be a soul winner. Now, in October, because other members had done the same thing that Chris did, we had 82 new believers attend our new believers retreats. We now have 120 small groups that meet each week. So we are happy that we have more than double our Sunday attendance attending our small groups and studying the lesson each week. Now, even though we're successful in reaching out aggressively to the people of the capital or the largest city of Tacloban, God reminds us that we still need to think about the 97 other towns in the Warai area and the 3,400 villages. We need to win souls there, but we don't even have enough people to send to that many places. But God reminded us that 
some of the high school graduates from each of these towns and rural villages are going to go to college and most likely will attend the colleges in the city of Tacloba. And so we organized our youth and we have created campus ministries that are active, recognized by the schools on eight college campuses in Tacloban City. And as a result, our Friday evening youth service has over 200 college students attending it. The Warai area also has wealthy and influential families. And we want to win these families to the Lord. But our Lord Jesus Christ himself has warned us it's harder to win a rich man to the Lord than it is to get a camel through the eye of a needle. <laughs> but regardless, we still want to win these prominent and influential families to the Lord. And 17 years ago, God showed us that if we started a Christian school, but we made it the best school in the entire Warai area, having the best campus, having using international textbooks, then these families would want to enroll their children in our school. Bethel International School now has established itself as the premier school for the entire Warai area. We have 332 students this year from kinder through high school, and only a fourth of these students have parents who are believers. But even if the parents don't read the Bible or pray, all of our students attend Bible class every week. Even though some of our parents, our children, come from Muslim families and Buddhist families and Hindu and Sikh families that don't read the Bible at all, all of our students learn to open the Bible, memorize verses, and know how to find them in the Bible. All of our students learn how to pray, and a high percentage of them do develop a personal faith relationship with Jesus Christ. We... Still, we want to thank you that you've sent Chris Camaro to work with us. She's doing a good job. We also want to ask that you help us find a few more that can help us in this coming school year. We need teachers. We need coaches, especially women's team coaches. And we need a school chaplain for this coming year that will be starting in August. Now, of the 2.6 million Warai people... The census tells us that 50% are under the age of 23. For that reason, for the last four years, I've been heading up a translation team to translate the Bible into modern Warai. We want the Bible to be a book that speaks to the heart of these young people and not to be looked upon by them as an antique, old-fashioned book. Do pray with us that we can publish the New Testament by the end of this year. Now, there are 3,400 villages in the Warai area, and some of them do have an evangelical church in them, but there are 2,600 churches that don't have an evangelical church of any kind in them, in these villages. And so as a result, I've started a church planting institute 
where we are training on Sunday nights those who are interested in making an effort to start a church in their hometown or in a village outside of Tecloban or where they plan to go once they graduate from college. It is Tim and Bethany Spears who are here this morning who are really coming to head up this ministry in the years to come. Now, I'd like us to switch to our main passage that we're going to study this morning. And we're going to be studying Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Now, in the entire Bible, there's probably no more missionary passage than this passage. Now, the words we're going to read and study are words that Jesus himself spoke to his disciples after he had been crucified. After he had risen from the dead, he had told his disciples to go to a special mountain in Galilee and to meet him there. Let's now read what Jesus said to his disciples and to us. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I've given the title for my message this morning, We Have All Been Given an Assignment. Let's pray before we consider and study these verses this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know these verses are familiar to most of us. We can say them by heart. And possibly because of that, they've lost their significance. But I pray, Lord, that this morning you would open our eyes, help us to reconsider what these verses are telling each of us to do. And I pray, God, that you would help me in explaining these verses. Might I do it accurately, Lord? And I pray that you would help each of us go from this place with some goals with some plans of how we can be faithful to these instructions in the weeks and months ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might possibly say that these verses, aren't these for pastors and missionaries and not for common pew sitters? No. If you read verse 20... Doesn't Jesus say that we are that to the original disciples teach them to observe all that I have commanded you? And that means they needed to teach everyone that they led to the Lord to obey all the commands of Jesus, which would include this command here. So this isn't just a command for missionaries and for pastors. Everyone who becomes a believer or disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be taught to obey these instructions as well as all the others that Jesus has given us. Now, because earlier generations did obey these instructions, 
you and I have become believers in Jesus Christ. And you and I have become students of the Bible. Because earlier generations obeyed this command, as a result, Christianity has been, become the religion that has the most followers of any religion in the world. However, the job's not done. Now, a hundred years ago, there were only 500 million, that's half a billion people in the world that said, I'm a Christian. Today, there are 2.2 billion people who will say, I'm a Christian. But I'm here this morning to remind us of the other side of this equation. And that is, a hundred years ago, there were only one billion people who said, no, I'm not a Christian. Today, there are five billion people in the world that make no pretense to being a Christian of any kind. They'll tell you straightforward, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist, I'm Sikh or a member of some other of the religions of the world. Now, this does not mean that the previous missionaries did not do a good job. Actually, your missionaries that have been serving you and other churches around the world have been doing a great job over the past hundred years. The problem is our doctors and nurses have also been doing a great job and they've been improving medical care around the world and as a result, population has skyrocketed exponentially. Do you know that when Jesus was born, there were only roughly around 200 million people estimated in the entire world. Now, it took 1,800 years for that population to reach 1 billion. But then healthcare began to improve. And so, as a result, in 123 years, the population grew to 2 billion. But it continued to improve, and then it only took 33 years to reach 3 billion. And then it only took 15 years to reach 4 billion. And then in another 12 years, we reached 5 billion. In another 12 years, we reached 6 billion. Then it took us 13 years to reach 7 billion people. Because the population of the world has grown so exponentially, we need to really take serious the job of going and making disciples. Now, let's look at the passage that we're going to study and break it down, but let's just look first at the first sentence or phrase here. It says that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. <coughs> the point I see that Jesus is making here and that we need to do is that each of us are commanded to go and make disciples. It was because of this command that 31 years ago, Margie and I did go to the Philippines as your missionaries. Now, I want to thank each of you that have participated in our ministry over the last 30 years. Many of you have prayed. You received our newsletters, and you've prayed for the different things that we've asked for. And those of you who contribute to your church's faith promise, we couldn't be there if it weren't for you providing the funds so that we can serve you as your missionaries. Now, I want to challenge any of you that still feel young to consider whether you might still be able to go to 
some part of the 1040 window, this is where the greatest number of those 5 billion people that make no pretense to being a Christian actually live. And maybe you could consider going and teaching English in, with navigators in Vietnam. Or maybe you could go to Thailand or Cambodia or Indonesia or China or India. Now, you won't need to prepare to go out in the jungles because those places don't have very many jungles anymore except the concrete ones. And the vast majority of these 5 billion people live in very crowded cities of Asia and other parts of the world in North Africa. And the people living in these places actually use cell phones and computers just as much as we do here. So the world has changed, but they need the gospel. Some of us need to go to other countries or partner with those who are going to other countries who are making disciples of people in other countries. But the reality is not everyone in this room can pick up and go across to Vietnam or the Philippines or some other place. So what does that mean? You're exempted from this command? No, I think the command to go is something that needs to be applied even if you stay right here in this Fairfield Bridgeport area. Because the reality is there still are a lot of people here that don't know the gospel. Now, I want to tell you about our youth ministry in Tacloban. When we started our church, we started a student center. And we also started a Friday evening youth service that we called Koinonia. And we hired a youth pastor. And for 10 years, they did active ministry in the student center each week and had this koinonia. But our average attendance remained at 40 to 50 college students attending koinonia each week. Now, maybe some of you would think, oh, that's pretty good. We didn't think it was very good to have 10 years and still be at 40 to 50. So we closed koinonia. And I took seven of our key youth leaders and brought them to Manila to spend a week with a church in Manila that three, had 300 college students attending their youth service. And we split up the team to go with them. And after we came back from that trip, the main thing that our students came back saying we need to change in order for our campus minute, our student ministry to grow is we needed to stop becoming a ministry that tried to get college students to leave their college campus to come to our student center, to come to our Koinonia program. And instead, we needed to become a youth ministry that would go to the campuses where the college students are and to start ministries on the college campuses, on the high school campuses. Some of our youth leaders began to make prayer walks, walking around the college campuses, praying for the different classrooms and teachers and the students in them. Some of our student leaders began to go on personal missions to the campuses where they would make a vow that they would not leave the, the campus until they had shared the gospel with at least one student. 
we had our youth organize that our youth that were attending these different colleges and campuses to organize themselves into a campus organization that was recognized by the faculty of that campus so that we could organize activities and use rooms on the college campuses. They began to start small groups that met on campuses during the lunch break or after classes. We changed from being a youth ministry that said, please come to our youth program, to being a youth ministry that said, let's go to the campuses and minister to the people. And as a result of that change, our campus and college ministry grew from 40 to 50 to 200 college students. Going to unbelievers rather than inviting them to come to us makes a big, big difference. God does not want us to wait for people to come to church. He wants us to go to them where they are and to teach them. Now, I want to introduce you to two young men. Rene is the man on the left, <coughs> and Joel is the man on the right. And they're partners in business. They have two restaurants, and they have a meat shop in the city of Tukloban. And I had met them because their nephew started attending our school, and they volunteered to drive the nephew to school and pick him up every uh, after school. And over a two-year period, I met them many times when they were dropping off their student or picking him up, and I befriended them, and I began to invite them to come to my Thursday evening life group. But wouldn't you know, over two years, they always had an excuse. They were always busy. But then, in August of that year, we had some new teachers that had come to teach at our school, and I wanted to take them on an adventure to some caves that, that are along a river about an hour from our city, and I decided I'll bring some students along so these new teachers get to know the students, and I'll bring some parents along. And I thought, let's try inviting Joel and Renee. But I thought to myself, if they won't even come to a two-hour life group, what's going to make them come to a whole day outing? But I invited them anyways, and to my surprise... They said, sure, when is it? We'll go. And we went together with the new teachers and had a grand time exploring the cave and going to different caverns and taking selfies and pictures. And then afterwards, we had a picnic outside on picnic tables at the edge of the river. <coughs> and during that time, I had the opportunity to get to know Joel and Renee in a different way. Before that time, they had been my acquaintances. But on that day, we became friends. Why? Because we spent a significant time of a whole day doing recreation together, talking and joking, and became friends. A week later, I went to their garden restaurant to visit Rene. Now, he didn't know I was coming, but as soon as he saw me, he left his left being behind the counter and came to me and he said, Paul, let's go to that kiosk out there in the garden and let's talk there so we won't be bothered by the customers. 
And as we went, I began to visit with him for a while. And then I asked him, you know, Renee, you know I'm a Bible teacher. Would you be interested in my helping you study the Bible and get to know it in a more better way? And he said, yeah, I have never read the Bible. I would like to read it. And so I spent the next half hour explaining to him five reasons why the Bible or why we know that this is the word of God. And then after we finished, I asked him, would you be interested if I go or come to your restaurant every week and we spend an hour learning something more from the Bible? And he said, yes, I would like that, but under one condition. Can I bring Joel with? Well, this was an amazing change of attitude. What had brought about this change of attitude? Well, one of the possible reasons is that in our church, we challenge our members, don't be selfish when you pray during your quiet time. If all you pray about is what you need and what your children need, that's pretty selfish. Every quiet time, you should be praying for at least three pre-believers that don't have a relationship with God and be praying that God would soften their hearts and give them an interest to know God better. And over the past two years, because I had been inviting them several times to come to my life group, I had regularly prayed for Joel and Renee and asked God to change their heart, and now God had. But also, I believe one of the reasons their attitude changed was that instead of my inviting them to come to a life group, something they'd never been at before, with people that they didn't know, I instead went to them. I brought them to go on an outing. And then I went to their restaurant to teach them in their kiosk where they were comfortable how to study the Word of God. Now, even though our friends may not be interested in studying the Bible at this time, praying for them allows God to change their hearts. As a result of my learning the value of going to where the unbelievers are and in inviting them on an outing and how it changed the attitude of Joel and Renee, my life group began to change the way we did life group. Instead of just meeting once a week on Thursday night to study the Bible, we set it as our goal that every sixth meeting or week, we would plan an outing where we would go somewhere, but it would not be just an outing for us to enjoy, but it would be something for us to invite our friends to. So we began going to caves and exploring them, going to islands and having fun, going to mountain lakes and pretending we're Tarzan, going to waterfalls in the middle of the rainforest and jungle. We would even go and swim with sharks. But every time we went, we brought friends with us. It was our unwritten code that you can't go on an outing unless you bring someone with that's not a part of our life group. 
And as a result of doing that, our life group, or the life group that I started at that time, which Renee and Joel joined, went from five members to 15 members, and only three of those members had originally been believers. All the rest were new believers. So I think that going on recreational activities with pre-believers can change their attitude about our values. Now, ladies, I realize you don't want to swim with sharks, but there are adventures that ladies like to do. My wife and her group, they have parties. They, plays, uh, they have special contests that they invite their friends to, and they have a grand old time, but they too do special events as a way to get new people to come to their group, but they also go out to see the pre-believers. Now, think about this. Jesus did not command the world to go to church, did he? Is there a verse? I haven't found one that says, all of you people in the world go to church. But Jesus commanded his church members to go to the world. And this is what we need to think about. Now, I know that you live in the world. You work in the world. You shop in the world. You go out into the world. <coughs> but the question is, are you going out into the world with the, with the intention of getting to know someone who's not yet a believer and in influencing them to develop a personal relationship with Jesus? When was the last time that you did this. Going back to our passage, I want us to go beyond the first command, which is to go, and let's look what else it is telling us to do. It tells us here that we are to make disciples of all nations, and then in verse 20 it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, it does also talk about baptism, but most churches do that regularly, so I'm not worried about you're not doing that. But I'm wanting us to focus in, are we making disciples? And are we teaching these new disciples to obey or observe all that Jesus has commanded? Now, in the game of baseball, every team will celebrate when a batter that's a hit and makes it to first base. But getting players to first base is not going to win any games unless you can get the player to second, to third, and then to home plate. Now, I am afraid that a lot of churches celebrate when someone starts, someone new starts attending church or when someone new comes forward at an altar call. And okay, that's good to celebrate, but brothers and sisters, that's only first base. They aren't disciples yet. We need to get them to the rest of the bases and make them disciples of Jesus. So our goal is not to make people church attendees. We must, that wasn't the command of Jesus. There's no mention of attending church in this command, but there is a clear mention. We must make them disciples of Jesus. 
This is why we encourage our members in Tacloban to not just attend church on Sunday, but to also attend a life group where you will discuss what was preached on Sunday. Now, some of you might say, good grief, you already heard it on Sunday. Now you're going to talk about it again. How boring. Well, no, we're talking about it again because that's what Jesus commanded. On Sunday, the pastor typically just tells us what Jesus commanded. But during the week in the life group, the members say, okay, how can we observe this? How can we obey this? How can we put this into the practice as mothers, as wives, as husbands, as men? That's part of the command. Make them disciples and teach them not just to know but to obey or to observe everything that Jesus commanded. I want to finish the story of uh, Joel and Rene and tell you what resulted because I didn't just stop, but I went on to teach them. Now, they, we went on that outing in August of that year. And then during the months of September and October, I went to their restaurant and taught them a Bible lesson. And during those eight weeks, both of them became believers. But then somewhere in the middle of November, they said to me, Paul, you know, you used to invite us to a life group, but could we still go to that? And so they began attending my life group. Now, I didn't stop there even though they had become believers, now they were regularly attending my life group. You see, in our church's program of how you bring a, a new believer to becoming a disciple, the first thing we do is we get them to attend a three-day new believers retreat. So in January of that year, the following year, Joel and Renee attended a new believers retreat. Now we call them Encounter God Retreats because it's a three-day retreat where we spend time in prayer and hearing testimonies and discussing different passages that help a person who's not become known Jesus before to really encounter God in a personal way and to develop a strong faith in Jesus. And also, this is where we teach them and model for them that every day they need to take time and have a personal quiet time and learn from Jesus. Now, part of becoming a disciple is learning to feed yourself spiritually. Even if a person became, becomes a believer and attends church every Sunday, but if they are dependent on the church to teach them how to become a better Christian... They're not really a disciple yet. They need to learn how to personally feed themselves, just like any child. If they're 12 years old and you still have to feed them, you'd say, there's something wrong with this person. Because our new, we want our new believers to become disciples, every quarter of the year, except the summer quarter, our church has three discipleship training classes that are taught each week that anyone can join and move to the higher level of their relationship with God. The first is called School of Leaders One. And in this 10-week class, new believers learn how to share 
and lead someone else to having a personal faith relationship with Jesus. And before they can graduate with that class in those 10 weeks, they have to share the gospel with at least three people. Then they can go to the next level, which is School of Leaders 2. Again, it's a 10-week class, and during this class, they're taught how they can lead a small group. And it's modeled for them. And before they can finish the 10 weeks or before they can graduate, they have to start leading a small group with at least three or four people attending. Then we have School of Leaders 3. In this class, we train those who are already leading a small group how they can become a better leader of that small group and how they can mentor the members of their small group to also become disciples of Jesus. Now, let's go back to Joel and Renee and what happened to them. Now, you remember that they became believers in October of that uh, that year, and then they attended the New Believers class in January. By the fall quarter of that year, when they had attended the New Believers class, they attended School of Leaders 1. And during that 10-week time, they were trained how to share their faith. But from the very first time they met, they were given a card and they were told to write the names of at least five to seven unbelievers in their family or circle of friends that they were going to pray for every day to learn to pray that they would come to know Jesus. And then during the first five weeks, they were taught how to share the gospel. But after lesson number five, they were told, okay, now this week, go share the gospel with one of those people that you've already prayed for more than 30 times. Well, I asked Joel, who are you going to go share with? And he said, I'm going to try with my friends, this couple, Gary and Sharon. And so I said, when are you going to share with them? Okay, you ready to go? He said, could you come with me? I said, okay, I'll go with you. So Joel set the appointment, and we went, and Gary and Sharon were there, and they welcomed us in, and they even had a snack to serve us. And then, wouldn't you know it, he pulled a fast one. He introduced me to Gary and Sharon, and he said, Paul is here because he's going to explain to you how you can have (laughs) eternal life. Well, I did go ahead and oblige and share the gospel with them. And to the surprise of Joel, Gary and Sharon were very interested. And they did make a personal decision to trust in Jesus because he'd been praying for them for 30 days. Then I told Joel on the drive home, okay, Joel, that went well. They are now part of God's family. But Joel, your assignment is for you to share the gospel. So next time, I'm not going to go along because I want you to share the gospel. Well, Joel had seen that it does work. And I had shared the gospel exactly like he had been taught in class. So he went out and did it himself later that week and the next week. And he was able to lead his mother to the Lord. And he was able to lead his sister to the Lord. Now, in the winter quarter, Joel went on and attended School of Leaders 2. And this class taught him to start a small group that would discuss what was preached on Sunday each week. And so he started a small group with the employees of his meat shop. 
And after three months, five of his employees had become believers. And so Joel brought them to an encounter God retreat. But at this encounter God retreat, Joel was now one of the speakers because he had been growing in his faith. And we always have new Christians share at the New Believers Retreat how God has changed their life over the past year. Then Joel went on to attend School of Leaders 3, and he was mentored and taught how to disciple the members of his small group, and he has done that. In fact, while I'm here right now in the States, Joel is leading my life group as well out there in the Philippines. You see, becoming part of becoming a disciple is learning to share your faith and to become a disciple maker. I wish I had time to tell you the stories of all the other people that our church has influenced who, like Joel, have gone up what we call the ladder of success. They have first gone to the New Believers Retreat, then they've gone to School of Leaders 1, then they've gone the next step to School of Leaders 2, then they've gone to School of Leaders 3. That's why um, we now have 120 small groups or life groups because we've taught our members to go and we've taught them that they need to obey everything and that they need to have a small group that they're leading. Now, once a month, we have a, a life coach meeting. You see, the leaders of our life groups, we call them not leaders, but life coaches. And once a month on Tuesday evening, we have an all-life coach meeting where we give additional instruction, training, encouragement. We don't want our life coaches to burn out. And we help them to become better life coaches. But we also tell them that our church, the Tuckloban Bible Community, does not exist for Sunday services. We exist to win souls and to disciple believers. And we remind them, your small group does not exist to eat snacks and to have grand fellowship time. Your small group exists to win souls and disciple believers as well. My question is, what about each of us here in Fairfield? Are we going out? Are we making contact outside of these walls with people that don't know Christ yet? And are we influencing them, exerting effort that they would become believers of Jesus and then also disciples? Now, I know many of you would say, Pastor Paul, that is scary ah, to go and share the gospel with somebody. I'm not made for that kind of stuff. Can't we just hire a seminary graduate and have him go out and share the gospel with people in Fairfield? Well, you could, and that's not bad, but that would be disobeying the command of Jesus because his command is for each of us to go. And uh, I want to remind you of the passage, the verses we're studying, what Jesus says at the very last. Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, why did Jesus say that? Was he worried that he were gonna, we were going to be lonely and so he was going to provide companionship for us? 
Well, Jesus does provide us companionship. But I believe he said that because he knew that he was commanding all of his disciples to do something a little bit scary, to go to new places, to share the gospel with new people. But he was reminding them, I'm going to go and I'm going to help you to do this. I want to tell you about Christy Villamore. Now, when Christy was a college student, she became a believer. And she went to an encounter or God retreat. And then she attended School of Leaders 1, which I was teaching at that time. And so at the first day, we, she made a list of five to seven classmates. We tell people the girls win girls, men win men. And she began to pray for their salvation. And for the next five weeks, I trained all the members of that class and Christy how to share the gospel using John 3.16 as the key verse from which they would share the gospel. And then after lesson five, we told them, okay, now you need to go out and share the gospel. Make an appointment and go share the gospel with one of those people you've been praying for. Then when we got back together for lesson six, we started the lesson by going around the room and asking everybody, were you able to share the gospel? Tell us about it. And it came to Christy's turn. And we asked Christy, did you make an appointment? Were you able to meet with someone that you'd share the gospel with or that you'd been praying for? And she said, yes. So we said, well, how did it go? Did you share John 3.16? And she said, well, I got out the piece of paper to draw the diagram, and I wrote the words, John 3.16, and I had a mental block. I couldn't remember the words to the verse. And so he said, well, what happened? To my surprise, the gal I was sharing with had been to Sunday school as a kid. She said, it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. And she knew more verses than I did, pastor. But... When I asked her if she had any confidence that if she died, she would go to heaven, she didn't. When I asked her, what will you tell God would be the reasons for why you should go to heaven, her answers were all because of things she had done. She was trusting in herself. And Christy said, I told her, even though you know more verses than I do, Jesus doesn't promise to save those who trust in themselves or believe in themselves. You've got to stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Jesus. And so the whole class said, well, what did she do? She did it. She trusted in Jesus. Now, Christy never became a great sharer. But all of us need to remember that Jesus will be with you as you go and make disciples. And he will help you. Christy never became very skilled, but she was determined. She kept going out during the next three years of her college course and sharing the gospel. And by the time she graduated, before she moved away from our city, she had led to the Lord and discipled more than 12 college students. Now, Margie and I have committed our lives to go on your behalf to the Wadai people to make disciples of them. Now, we do need you to get behind us in prayer. We do need you to get behind us with the faith promise so that we can go there. 
We also could use any of you who are coaches of women's volleyball or women's soccer, come be our coach. We do need any of you that still feel you can mingle with young people, be a school chaplain, come and be our school chaplain. But even if you can't go somewhere else, I hope that all of us will take this command seriously and go outside this church and go to the different neighborhoods and communities and institutions of this area and start introducing people to Jesus. And then don't stop just because they started believing and attending church. Disciple them so that they, in turn, will go out and start discipling people. Now, the passage we've been studying today, I know most of you know this verse, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, is called the great, I beg to differ. I don't think this is the great come mission. It is the great go mission. And we've got to go if we are going to obey this command. Now, as you leave this place, I want to thank you for your prayers and being behind us. The job we're doing is not done. We're going back in July. But as you go out the doors, there is a table that has some of our prayer cards. It has some brochures that can help you and give you ideas of how you can help us. And we also have a clipboard if you'd like to receive our prayer letter, you can sign up for it. Thank you very much for being behind us.